0: Hello ladies and gentlemen, this is your host Brevin Slope, and you're listening to The Mayor's Podcast. What's up basketball fans out there? We are back for episode six of The Mayor's Podcast. I hope you all had a great weekend and thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode. I'm really excited to have a great mentor of mine, Coach Tate Hildenkamp, on this week's episode of the podcast. As a player, Hildenkamp played his first two seasons at Sheridan College, where they finished with a combined record of 51-13 and 13 in his two seasons. After his two seasons in junior college, he went on to play at Division II Black Hills State, where he served as team captain his senior season. After his playing days were over, he started his coaching career as the graduate assistant coach at Concordia University in Nebraska. He then went on to be the director of basketball operations at Minot State for the men's and women's basketball programs. After Minot State, he went on to Colorado State University Pueblo where he is currently coaching as an assistant coach for the men's program.
1: Well, first of all, Brev, I need to thank you because it's an honor to be on the mayor's podcast. (laughs) Um, you know, I was waiting on my invite and I'm glad I finally got it. So I appreciate that. Um, but you know, I think just to answer your question, like, um, that's pretty spot on is that it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily get a lot of, um, attention. Um, but you know, it's, it's just kind of the fact of the matter is it's just a smaller state. You know, you're, you're not going to have, um, as many college level players in a smaller state as you are, um, you know, that you might in a, in a bigger city or a bigger state. So, um, that's just kind of the fact of the matter, but, you know, there are, there are players that I've played with and, you know, played against and stuff like that, that are, that are great players, um, and, and and went on to have great college careers. Um, but it was good, you know, it was, uh, I, I played for a great coach. His, his name was Jason Mountain, um, played for him for all four years and, and he just did a great job and, and I I got him towards the end of his his tenure at at Laramie High School, but um, you know I, I'm glad I did because he taught I talked to him a lot about how much he grew um, as a coach, you know, because he got the job I think when he was 26 years old, um, so he was the young or 24 years old maybe it was, but he was the youngest high school coach in in Wyoming at the time, um, and he just talked about how he grew to to. Um, become more of a player's coach. And what I mean by that is, you know, just really invest in the relationships of his players. And I kind of reap, uh, reap the benefits of that just by creating a great, great relationship with him.
0: Kind of going off that, obviously you had a really successful high school career. I mean, you were a first-team All-State player two years. Um, who were some of the schools right out of high school uh, that were recruiting you pretty hard? And um, just tell me a little bit about that um, process of being recruited. Yeah, so I actually I wasn't
1: recruited hardly at all out of high school. Um, you know, I didn't. I think the big thing was um, was I didn't play AAU basketball in high school. And and I, you know, I tell a lot of uh, young players that now is that um, you know, especially from Wyoming, where they don't get a lot of exposure in high school, is is um, play AAU basketball. You know, like the, a lot of the Denver AAU programs are close by, you know, especially if you're in the Southern part of Wyoming that you can play on and, and um, so play you to get some exposure, you know, but kind of with me personally, I didn't get much exposure. So um, I, 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 after my senior year of basketball, um, I kind of just reached out and had coach mountain um, reach out to some coaches that he knew around the state and, and, Sheridan college, which is where I ended up playing after high school was one of them. And, um, just kind of went on some tryouts to be honest with you. Uh, I didn't get on any official visits, didn't get anything like that. Um, so I kind of had to, to do the grunt of the work and, and reach out and kind of be assertive with it and, and shout out to coach Mountain for doing what he did for me, um, in that process as well. But, um, yeah, that I think the big thing was that, you know, I missed that AAU boat and, and uh, didn't get that exposure that I might have otherwise.
0: Absolutely. No, I love how you talked about, I mean, you kind of had to just deal with the grind. I mean, obviously you didn't have a bunch of schools calling, so that's really cool that you kind of just put yeah. yourself out there and were vulnerable and said, hey, let me let me get a chance. And obviously you had a lot of success. So, so you kind of touched on this a little bit. Obviously they were kind of the one school that kind of maybe gave you a chance to try out for them or whatever. Um but ultimately why did you choose the, the JUCO route instead of the four year school? Yeah, was it no, was it great. was it was it because you wanted I was the only school really where you could play basketball? What was what was it, that decision about?
1: Yeah, no, that, that last thing you just said is spot on, is that, that was the you know, that was the school that was gonna give me a chance, you know, and, and Coach Smiley, you know, he um he talked to me going in, you know, I was uh, going in, walking on, he said, you know, you, you got a ways to go, but we think you can do it, you know? And so he was, um, in that, in that whole, it was actually a pretty short process because it was, you know, kind of late in the year and their roster was almost filled, but, um, he did a great job of communicating with me of, of kind of what he saw, saw in me and what the expectations were. And that was that, um, I was, I was going to have to work, you know, it was, I I had a long way to go to be ready to play at that level. Um, But yeah, to answer your question, it was, it was, you know, that was the only school that was going to give me a shot. And and I, you know, it was my dream to play college basketball. And and so I took it, you know, and and, um, it ended up teaching me a lot of things. And I, you know, like I said, I was fortunate enough to play for a great coach, coach Smiley. Um, But that's, that's kind of, you know, why I decided to go that Juco route. Absolutely. Now I love how you talked
0: about how your coach kind of, I mean, like you said, like he, it's gonna be it's gonna be hard to make it, but he he really believed in you and you had that uh, that realistic chance to actually play. That's cool because some people would say, yeah, yeah, come be a part of the team. Yeah, you can sit the bench for four years, two years, whatever. That's really cool yeah. how he instilled that belief in you. That's uh, that's awesome. So yeah. So talk to me a little bit about just the junior college basketball experience. Like obviously, it's a lot different than a four, traditional four year school.
1: So what's just that overall <laughs> junior college experience like? Well, I think, you know, uh, it's it's just a, uh, kind of another recruiting process because, you know, as you know, it's a two-year thing and then you hope, you know, if, if you do well enough or if you get noticed, you go on to that four-year level afterwards. Um, and so it's a different environment in that sense as, as far as it's interesting is – you know, as players, you want to create this camaraderie and create, you know, this, this uh, team atmosphere, but you're also, you, you want to do well because you want to move on to the four-year level. So I can tell you for a lot of guys, it's a test of, you know, if they're team guys or not, you know, because it sort of is a tryout on a daily basis, you know, with your own coaching staff and with other coaches that come into your gym, it's, it's a, you know, a, kind of an audition, you know, to see if they want you for that next level. And um, I think it's cool when JUCO teams can um, have that level of competitiveness where it's like, no, you know, we're all fighting for a spot at the four-year level, but also let's do it to make each other better and to have a successful year while we're here at the JUCO level too. So I think it's an interesting dynamic that that the JUCO level brings to, uh, I guess, just the team aspect.
0: No doubt. I mean, I told, totally get that. And I think that's a lot what a lot of people don't really understand is, I mean, like these guys are trying to to find their way to a good four-year school, obviously. But like you said, the, the teams that are really successful and and really the guys, the individual success stories are what, when they're playing on successful teams. And like, I mean, that's hard. Yeah. That's hard sometimes for guys to come together
1: on a Juco team. But that, that's that's I think you hit around the head with that. Absolutely. Well, and and one thing, one thing Coach Smiley would always say is, you know, that that uh, a rising tide lifts all boats, you know. And so what that means is, is just the better our team does and the more successful our team is, the more each individual player will reap the benefits, you know. And I think that's um, true at all levels, you know, at the JUCO level, it's it's relevant in the sense that, yeah, they'll move on to the four year level more than likely you know, if the team's better, but, um, that's, that's true at all levels, you know, the, and that's, that's part of coaching and and part of just being a team is, is, um, figuring that out, that idea that, Hey, you might have to sacrifice some shots or you might have to sacrifice some playing time, but if it's for the betterment of the team, you know, that's, what's going to make us successful, which is going to make you more successful as an individual. Yeah. So coach did a great job of that.
0: Yeah. That's awesome. I think, like you said, like, obviously, any coach, coaching any team, has to, has to be able to bring teams together and instill that sacrifice for everybody. But I think especially mm-hmm. for JUCO coaches, I mean, I think they deserve a lot more credit they, than they get, especially the successful ones because, I mean, they're bringing in a, yeah. lot of, a lot of guys from different backgrounds with a lot of just different stories. And then they're, yeah, they're, all, they're, all, they're all trying to make it. So that's, a, that's mm-hmm. really good stuff. So yeah. I'm curious, what would you say are some of the pros of playing junior college basketball?
1: Uh, that's a great question. I think, I like, just speaking on personal experience, for me it was, and you, you just touched on it a second ago, of um, a kid from Laramie, Wyoming, playing with a kid from Rapid City, South Dakota, and then also playing with kids from inner city Baltimore, from Chicago, you know, from all over the world, Paris, France. Like, you're playing with kids – that are coming from all over the world not just all over the country and uh and that's a beautiful thing you know you can see um how all that fits together and it's and it's awesome when when all these people from all these different places um uh, make it work and you know not all, only are successful on the floor but you know our good friends off the floor um but I think for me, that was a big thing just in life as far as being able to grow up a little bit and see what was out there and just get out of the house, um, you know, get away from the parents, fend for myself for a little bit. But uh, I think it's just another opportunity. You know, for example, you see kids that, um, you know, aren't very heavily recruited out of high school that go the JUCO route. You know, and then they end up developing really well, having really successful JUCO careers and then maybe go to a higher level that they might not have reached out of high school. You know, so you see kids um, work towards it gives them another opportunity to work towards maybe a higher level or or um, a level they might not have reached otherwise, because, you know, I can speak for myself is is. um playing against kids that, you know, m- many of my teammates went D1 and and a handful of them pl- have played pro basketball or are still playing pro so um you're playing against high level competition on a daily basis. Um and doing that every day, you know, it elevates your game. You know, for a guy like me that that isn't quite that talented or quite that, you know, level of, you know, division 1, it made me elevate my game just a little bit higher. So um, I think there's a lot of pros, um, to Juco, but I think the biggest one for me is it gives kids that opportunity, um, to, to kind of better their situation, I guess, is the way I would put it.
0: Yep, no doubt. Now I'm curious now, obviously you, you kind of touched on this already, but did you feel that going the Juco route like prepared you so much more like out of high school for, cause then you obviously went on to play division two basketball. So was that Juco route a really big booster just in terms of bettering your
1: game um, coming out of high school? Yeah, no, I, this, this is a question. When you sent me these questions, I was, I was kind of excited to talk about because I think um, it did prepare me in some ways and then it kind of made it difficult in other ways. So, Um, you know, going the Juco route, it was great. Like I said, like I mentioned a second ago of of playing against that high level talent on a daily basis. Um, so I think in that sense, it did prepare me, but I think also like, say you go to the four year route out of high school, you know, and you're with that same coaching staff and those same coaches for four years, you really start to learn what they look for, you know, the type of player they want you to be um and kind of your role the more you get to know that coaching staff and play with that coaching staff but if you go the JUCO route you know you play with a coach for you know 2 years or 1 year if you're a qualifier you know and then you hop to another coaching staff so it's kind of relearning um what what your new coaching staff is looking for you know it's just a new it's just a, you you're starting the learning curve over you know when you when you go to that 4 year level but um, I think ultimately it did prepare me well just because and that's a big testament to the to the program coach Smiley ran um and I think it was just he did a good job of preparing everybody for their next step but um there's definitely some some things where it takes some adjustment after you leave that juco level
0: yep, definitely, definitely now, after your two seasons at Sheridan, you then decided to go play your last two seasons, like I said at Division two Black Hills State, so why did yep. you choose? Black Hills State and just talk to that talk to me about that experience
1: well I think uh for one I it was it was a level I I wanted to be at and felt I could play at like you said that division two level um but I, I I wanted to go there out of high school it was one of the schools I reached out to out of high school um and then um, Coach Schaefer saw me play at at the Region Nine tournament, and that's kind of where it went from there. And I ended up going there. But um, I honestly I knew it was you know it's in the RMAC. It was my family lives in Denver, um, and I, they were going to be able to see a lot of my games, you know. And um, it just kind of felt like home on my visit there. Um, it was a it was a great campus. The you know the community was welcoming. Um, and it was just kind of felt like the spot for me. You know, I think Coach, uh, like I said, Coach Schaefer did a good job in that recruiting process of bringing me there. Um, but then, you know, playing, I Coach Schaefer ended up going to Western State, um, which is his alma mater. And, and I ended up playing for a guy named Jeff uh, Jeffrey Trumbauer. And, and that was a good two years. You know, we, um, we were making the transition from NAI to D2. Um, I think they did that a couple of years before I got there, but, um, we were still in that transition phase from NAI to D2, um, and, and, you know, playing in a tough league in the RMAC, um, you know, playing against, against good competition at night in and night out and, and, uh, playing at the level that I felt fit me the best. It was, it was a good time. Um, but, you know, made some great friends there and, and, uh had a good two years it was a good way to finish out the 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 playing career
0: that's good stuff I love that now once you got done playing um, you obviously wanted to pursue the coaching coaching route so um, your first kind of gig was being the graduate assistant at Concordia University Nebraska so what was that experience like and did that like reassure you that you were in the right
1: profession in coaching absolutely absolutely I got to coach guys like you bro (laughs) I was I was fortunate enough to uh to come in you you know when you're when you were a freshman and and you know coach you for 2 years and coach other guys you know like Tanner for 2 years but um you know on top of the guys I got to coach and and the you know the games we won and all that kind of stuff I you know I worked for um an incredible staff with coach Limback and coach Correll, um and they just taught me a lot for one about coaching um but just about caring for their guys too, you know, um, you, 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 know how it was, man. We, we had a good, uh, we had a great camaraderie with between our, our, our coaches and, and players. And, and, um, obviously you guys were, were a joy to coach, but, um, learning, learning, getting into the coaching game and learning my first two years under, um, coach Lindback and coach Correll was, was a huge plus for me, um, just personally. Now, how how beneficiary is it?
0: I mean, for coaches trying to get trying to get started in coaching, how how impactful is it to go that GA route? I mean, obviously a lot of coaches do that, but some some coaches don't do that. How how beneficial was that to you, just starting out as a graduate assistant?
1: No, I think you know, I think it, it was great for me. Uh, for one, just to get my master's degree, I think you know that I don't see any negatives in that one. You know, even though. Um, you know, some people don't want to go that route, but I think it's just a good route. You, you learn, um, you learn under a a full-time coaching staff, but while getting, while getting your master's, um, but I think it's just kind of the typical route, you know, like it's, it's, that's kind of the progression you see, you know, guys getting into being a GA, um, you know, then maybe moving to a director of basketball operations, then moving up to an assistant, you know, that's just kind of the, the natural progression. But, I know for me, it taught me um, a lot more about, you know, workload, balancing, being a coach and being a in a, in a master's program at the same time. Um, but I, I I think, you know, when we talked on the phone a couple of weeks ago, I, you know, I was talking to you about, like, if, if you want to be a GA, it's got to be something that, you know, you're sure you want to get into college coaching because it's a grind. You know, it's a lot of work. Like I said, you're doing two things at once, the masters and the coaching. So um it's gotta be something you're you're committed to and you're sure you wanna do. Absolutely And the nice thing about I feel like just both
0: both GAs that I had when I was playing, I think Coach Lundbeck and Coach Correll did a really good job with really like letting the GAs do a lot of stuff. I mean, like you guys were doing scouting reports, so I think mm-hmm. I think is just a really good spot to kind of start start off there. That's good. Yeah. Um so Obviously, after Concordia, you went on um, to be a director of basketball operations for the women's and and men's basketball programs at Minot State. So, for our listeners out there, and I honestly don't really know exactly what the roles of an of a director of basketball operations would be. So, tell us a little yeah. bit about what what your roles were in that in that situation.
1: Yeah, so that was that was a cool situation. It was a unique situation. Um, typically division two programs don't have director of basketball operations usually it's like an assistant and a ga and that's the staff you know but um might not state you know felt it was a good idea to create that director of basketball operations position and then you know kind of at the smaller college level as you know you know you did it with concordia is is um a lot the men's and women's teams travel together you know to a lot to a lot of games um so they just felt it made sense to do it for both men's and women's um but as far as their role is it's like you know my the first thing I did when I got there um was put on summer camps um so summer camps is a big role the clinics are a big role um planning travel is a big role and then I did other little things like help help coach Merkin and coach Grappi um manage the budget a little bit and it's kind of some stuff like that. But some big it's, – it's a lot of the behind-the-scenes stuff, um, you know, putting on camps, planning travel, planning uh, meals and stuff for guys over breaks, you know, all that kind of stuff.
0: So you, so you just mentioned how you were dealing with both the women's and men's basketball programs. So was it hard balancing times with both those teams? I mean, obviously you were doing a lot of stuff with them, like on the floor doing workouts and stuff. So how was it just balancing that time between both programs?
1: Yeah, you know, I was, uh, you know, like I was saying, it was it was um, a unique situation in the sense that um, I could be on the floor with, you know, so at the division one level, um, director of basketball operations, they're not supposed, they're not allowed to be on the floor. Um, but I, I was able to at the division two level. So that was awesome. You know, that's the part I love about coaching. Um, and, and, you know, that's the fun part um but it was great as far as learning you know the ins and outs of of uh you know kind of what goes on behind the scenes that's not on the floor but yeah like you said it was it was difficult and it was a work in progress you know that was a, it was a position that was developed um that year you know so it was a work in progress with how it was going to work with both programs you know so we just worked through that um you know, as well as we could and, and it ended up working out pretty well. I spent a lot of time with both teams and, and enjoyed, uh, um, working with both teams very much. So I'm curious and I'm sure our listeners are curious as well.
0: What would you say the biggest differences between coaching women and men?
1: Oh, yeah. I think, you know, honestly, the, one of the big things is, um, attention span. (laughs) And I can relate to that a lot (laughs) because I have a horrible attention span. Um, but I noticed with the women's team, you know at least up at my not state it was um they had a a lot better time paying attention for longer periods of time so, um, <laughs> than the, than the men's team did uh but you know it was as far as as far as you know on the floor type stuff and what was different and 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 stuff like that it was it was honestly pretty similar you know I felt like um you know, there were some players that could take coaching, you know, a certain style of coaching well and and some players that couldn't take that style of coaching. So you got to, you know, um, maybe coach them a different way or maybe not get on them as hard. But it was it was that way for both, you know, the men's and the women's team, um, you know, and, and it was it was incredible to see, you know, how they pick things up, you know. So um, with the men's team. You know, I feel like we could move a little bit quicker early on, but their deta- the details started to go quicker. With the women's team, it seemed like we spent a lot more time early on teaching some things, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, pick and roll coverage or, you know, a certain dribble move, whatever it might have been. Spent a little bit more time teaching it initially, but the details didn't go as quick. Um, and maybe that was a little bit of what we were emphasizing with both teams. Um, but because a, a lot of coaching is, it's not what you teach. It's what you emphasize. Um, you know, so it could have been a little bit of that too, but it was interesting how, um, you had to re-coach some things with the men's teams that you didn't necessarily have to touch on so much with the women's team or, or vice versa, you know? So it was interesting to see that dynamic.
0: Yeah, no, that was really interesting. That's some good, good, insightful stuff. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, so then after, after my night, you decided to leave and now you're this current assistant coach at Colorado State University Pueblo. So tell me a little bit about how you ended up there and what has that experience been like so far for you?
1: Yeah, so first of all, it's been, it's been incredible. You know, it's been wonderful working with uh, Coach Hammer for a year and I'm excited to go in into my second year um, with Coach Hammer and Coach Glover. Um, but so I, I met Coach Hammer um, when I got to Concordia, he actually got hired as the assistant, um, at Sheridan as I was leaving. And then he, you know, took the, took, took over the head job and that's where I first met him. But, um, just down the road or, you know, along the way, as I got into coaching, you know, at Concordia, you know, I talked to him about some of his players, um, did the same at Minot. Um, just kind of kept in, in, in contact with him, um, over these past four or five years since I got into coaching. Um, and you know, was looking for a job last year after last summer after I left Minot, and you know he he asked me to come down and join him, join him uh, before last season, and uh, I'm glad he did. I've I've enjoyed learning under him and and uh, enjoyed you know the first year um, seeing what what Coach Hammer is all
0: about. Absolutely, that's good stuff. Now, now I'm curious. So you obviously coach at Concordia, which is an NAI school, and now you're coaching Division II basketball. And obviously, yeah. you played Division Two basketball. So, I'm curious, what would you say some of the biggest differences are between NAIA basketball and like Division Three basketball compared to Division Two basketball?
1: Yeah, um, hey, that's a great question. You know, I would talk to talk to uh, Lance Correll about this a lot. Shout out, uh, Coach Correll. <laughs> um, but you know, because he played Division Two basketball as well, and and um, I think the biggest thing you know we would always talk about is is the skill level you know all that type of stuff between n a i and Division two from what I can tell it is is very similar you know like it's you don't see much difference in in skill level and and you know the ability to shoot it or whatever the case may be um, I just think Division two you get a little bit more size a little bit more athleticism um, you know some of those players that are you know the borderline d one um, type guys that might go division two that um, just maybe have a little bit more size um, and just kind of the, their physical abilities, you know. Um, but also, you know, as you know, and, and we played again, when I was at Concordia, we coached against uh, and played against teams, you know, those Florida teams that they had a lot of, a lot of athleticism, a lot of talent on those teams too. So you get, you get that as well at the NAI level, but I would say for the most part, um, D2 is just a little bit bigger and a little bit faster. Yep. No
0: doubt. No doubt. And I would totally, totally agree with that. That's yeah. kind of what, I, what I've noticed too. So I'm curious, what would you say, what are your goals in terms of coach in your coaching career? So, I mean, obviously you're an assistant coach right now. Um, what's your end goal? Would you want to be a head coach or what, what do you, what is, what do you see your career kind of going in that
1: direction? Yeah. yeah no, I, um, you know, I want to continue with this coach, this college coaching thing, you know, as far as I can take it, you know, and, and who knows when that's going to end or, you know, how long it's going to go. But I want to continue doing this, um, you know, as a career and, and you know, someday be a head coach. Um, you know, as far as what level it is, it doesn't really matter to me. You know, I think the big thing for me is going to be able to, you know, going to be to find a place where, um you know the athletic department is is set up for success and 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 you know the the community's backing it, and it's going to be a good situation to to do to do so. but um, as far as moving up in a certain amount of time or being a head coach by a certain amount of time, I don't necessarily have those goals um, but also you know i've I've talked about you know and, and considered you know going going personal training, doing some of that type of stuff. Um, you know, I I think that's the part of, of coaching that I enjoy the most, um and that, that I that I like to put in the most time in. Um so I've I've flirted with that idea a little bit, but um as of right now I just wanna continue to um continue to work at this, this job I have now and, and continue to get better every day and then uh see where it goes from there. Yeah, I
0: love that. I mean just knowing you, it's awesome to know that no matter where you're at you're going to be going a hundred percent at your job, no matter what you're doing. And I think that you hit it right on the nail. I mean, you're there right now. so You can make the most of that opportunity. That, that's good stuff. So I'm curious. So at the end of the day, and it's all said and done, your coaching career is over. What would you say would make you proud and think you were successful as a coach?
1: And there's, there's a lot of things, you know, and it's tough to, to narrow that down, I guess, to, to one or two or even three things. But, um, you know, I, I'm in coaching for the players. You know, and and I love working, with, like I said, with guys like you, with the guys we have now here at, at uh, CSU Pueblo. You know, with the the guys and the girls up at Not State. That's that's the where I get the love of coaching from is is through you guys. So, um, you know, obviously seeing you know the the accolades and and the success you guys have on the court and in the classroom and all that kind of stuff. Um, but it's to see things like, you know, our guy Tanner Shuck getting married, you know, recently. And, uh, you know, guys like you getting, getting, uh, was it honorable mention All American or did you get second team? The honorable mention. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> I couldn't remember. Okay, but, but, you know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, it's, yeah. it's uh, seeing you guys succeed in, in whatever it is you guys set out to do, and especially the ones um, beyond basketball, you know, that, that you know you see 3 4 5 years down the road of guys doing that's that's the cool stuff right there so um the more i see that i guess i'll i'll be able to call myself somewhat successful at coaching um but um the you know the wins the wins and losses will happen as a coach but the the stuff you see off the floor that that happens with your players after they leave your program is a uh, is a cool thing to see yeah that's awesome No, i know just like
0: you mentioned i mean Life is so much bigger than basketball and when coaches like really grasp grasp that that's really cool and obviously it makes a big impact on players because I know just how how awesome you were with me coaching me and how much I appreciate yeah. you. So that, was, that was that's awesome. Um
1: I appreciate that. kinda
0: kinda of, kind of to wrap things up, I always like to do some quick hitters with all my guests. So what Please do. do. <laughs> <laughs> so what I'm gonna do is just give you a question and I want you to answer it as quick as you can, all right?
1: Okay.
0: Favorite sport other than
1: basketball. Ooh,
0: baseball. Who's the greatest player of all
1: time? Oh, man, bro. I got to go Bron. I got to go LeBron. I love it.
0: <laughs> Favorite shoe to hoop in?
1: Oh, I can't even remember the name of them, but they were – I think the shoes James Harden wore, I wore my senior year. They were Adidas, like Ultra Boost or Ultra Lights or something like that. I don't even remember what they were called, but I okay. love those shoes. Okay. Favorite player growing up? Actually, let's go back to that last one. I'm going to say the Iverson threes with the zipper in the front. Love it. Love it. (laughs) Favorite player growing up? Allen Iverson.
0: Favorite thing to do outside of basketball? Snowboard. Best thing about Seward, Nebraska?
1: (laughs) (laughs) The people, for sure. I
0: love the people there. And then last one, if you could meet any celebrity, who would it be and why?
1: That's tough for a quick hitter. Um, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say Will Smith just because I don't think he's ever made a bad movie. Love it, I love it. Well, Coach,
0: once again, I just want to say thank you so much for your time. I know you're a busy man, so I really appreciate you coming on this week's podcast.
1: No, I appreciate it, man. I uh, like I said, I enjoyed talking to you, and I was was waiting for my opportunity, so I appreciate <laughs> you having me on.
0: Once again, I want to say thank you so much to Coach Tate Hilgekamp for being on this week's episode of the Mayors Podcast. I obviously really enjoyed sitting down and visiting with him a little bit there. His insight on just Juco basketball was really fascinating to me, and I hope all you guys out there enjoyed it as well. I can't wait for next week's episode. I hope you all are excited about it and ready to tune in for Episode 7 next week of the Mayor's Podcast. Until then, take care, basketball fans.